0: Welcome to Thriving Through Menopause. I'm Clarissa Christensen, and in this podcast, we know that menopause and midlife aren't all fun and games. But this is the podcast where I and my guests guide you and support you. Lots of our issues arise at this time of life because they're subjects that we want to brush under the carpet. Bringing these conversations into the light. We can help you prepare for midlife and menopause changes. Get supported with symptoms as they arise, with life issues in our relationships, with our kids, our finances, our careers. Prepare to join us every single week and we are looking forward to thriving through menopause and getting you set up and ready to make the most of the next chapter of your life. Welcome to another episode of Thriving Through Menopause. And today we're going to be maybe busting some of those myths in menopause around sex. Because boy, do I get a bit sad when I read Facebook posts that are all the time about sex is over, it's boring, or I hate my husband, and the narratives that go on and on. And today I've got a guest I know who is, really looks at things in a different way. She's all about sizzling sex and meaningful relationships. Welcome, Dr. Laurie Beth Bisbee.
1: Thank you. I'm
0: glad to be here. I'm so delighted. I mean, Laurie Beth, to tell you a little bit about her, is a psychologist, she's a sex and intimacy coach, and she's a podcaster, speaker, and author. I think if one know about sex Laura Beth you're one of these key people who really knows about how we can look at this differently. Absolutely. So I mean where do all these myths come from? I mean there seem to be so many.
1: I mean what a place to start but there are just are so many myths around this time, aren't there? You know I think that some of them come from the fact that women don't get good information, right? So if Um, I mean, we don't get decent sex education to start with, but we don't get good information about the menopause. Unfortunately, it's not talked about just like any other transition in life. (laughs) Yeah. So we end up with um, a lot of myths around what happens based on what people have experienced. So the idea, for example, the biggest myth is that sex is over. Yeah, I see that
0: one a lot. That is libido's gone. That's over. Never
1: coming back. Right, and you know the first first thing is is that it doesn't have to be. Um, it absolutely doesn't have to be. First, first of all, not everybody's libido goes. No, so let's no. start there. There are some people. <laughs> there are some people whose libido gets crazy during and after menopause. We think some of that has to do with the the difference in the balance between testosterone and estrogen, but also because you're not worried about getting pregnant anymore. Yes. And that's a big thing. Women often don't talk about how big a thing that is. Mm -hmm. Your hormones, when you're approaching menopause, get crazy with an effort to procreate. And you understand where it comes from evolutionary in an evolutionary term, but not everybody wants to procreate at that point. And so there are a lot of accidents that happen between the ages of 35 and, and almost 50. Yes. Yes. And those yes. are really difficult pregnancies yeah. or really yeah. difficult decisions as to whether or not you go through with a pregnancy. So to get to that point where that's there's no risk anymore, yeah. for a lot of women, that's completely freeing <laughs> yeah and I can totally
0: relate to that because I'm just going to say it that was me I was like whoo and I, and I was single too and I was like wow what just happened here but I think you know I went along with the ride and I felt this is really great I'm really enjoying this and I am free I'm freed from those concerns about having a child. I mean, by that time I was in my late forties. I certainly didn't want to become a mother again, but I think it's something you're right. We don't talk about that. It's like we put all these taboos and we couldn't possibly have that conversation, not even
1: with our girlfriends. Absolutely. And then there's the other part, which is for a lot of people, there is a loss of libido. Um, And this is only one of the issues that means people say sex is over, but we start with libido, but it doesn't have to be. So sometimes the loss of libido is because your testosterone has gone down. Now we don't talk about testosterone in women very much, and in fact, I knew nothing about it. I'm now fifty-seven. I'm postmenopausal. I was postmenopausal in my early fifties, mm-hmm. um, or what they would consider, you know, most of the way through. I was hadn't had any periods in a couple of years, and suddenly I had a bleed. And so when that happens, everybody freaks out. Because if you bleed postmenopausally, sometimes that means you have cancer. Thankfully, I did not have cancer. And I need to say it's also very difficult to tell when a woman is actually through the menopause. And part of that's because many of us use contraceptives contraceptives mm-hmm. that change things. So if you have a Mirena coil, for example, like I did, I hadn't had a period properly in years. No. So it's very difficult to tell where you are in the sequence particularly if you choose to have some HRT. Yeah. Right. Which I did. However, when I went through this process, I found out that I had fibroids. And and so everybody just kind of backed off. But they were really bad. So I elected to have a hysterectomy. And again, that's a taboo thing to talk about that you elected to. I didn't, they didn't tell me you have to have one except that the fibroids kept growing. So my, I was looking more and more pregnant and I was more and more <laughs> uncomfortable. I didn't consider that an elective choice. There was no treatment for my fibroids. Everything they tried didn't work. Yeah. So, you know, it's one of those things that I didn't have any real advice around and I got fed up and I, I read um, and I said, okay, I'm done, right? Cause this isn't going to get any better. It's only going to get worse. So when I went to have the hysterectomy, because I have autoimmune disease and some other issues, the gynecologist said to me, we need to take your ovaries. Now, a lot of women choose to keep their ovaries in because many of you may not know, but you actually still put out hormones until 80s, 90s, they're not sure. So menopause is not the end of your hormone production. It's the end of the massive hormone production. So you still put out some estrogen. And you still put out testosterone. Testosterone gives you most of your libido, energy. It changes the muscle fat balance. Really important to have testosterone. If you have none, depression is a big thing. Lack of libido, lack of, of muscle tone. I mean, it's pretty horrible, but nobody talks about that.
0: No. And that's that kind of fatigue that women talk about feeling oh absolutely my God. exhausted, like they've got no energy to move. And, and they don't understand why, even if they're sleeping, that's pretty much pinned down to ter-
1: testosterone. That's right. So when I had my, when I was going to have my operation, I said to the um, gynecologist, I want testosterone. Well, I'm in the UK and what I discovered was that unless you have cancer and so they take your ovaries very early or you are a trans person, yes, so you're, you're trans masculine, testosterone isn't available to you on the NHS. No one will offer it to you and you have to ask for it and you have to research <laughs> how you go about getting it and what you get. The first thing I was told was your GP won't prescribe it. If they do, they'll only prescribe an implant. Now, I didn't want an implant because I'm very sensitive to things. I wanted to be able to titrate a dose. With an implant, you can't titrate. It's either on or you take the implant out. Yeah. So he prescribed testosterone gel. We started with one dose. We increased a little bit. I'm where I, I'm at the same dose now for uh, since 2018.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The only side effect I've had was extra hair growth which prior to lockdown and COVID meant more waxing. Now it's a bit of a pain in the behind, but you know, there it is. We
0: live with Uh, that one. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I'm living with it. It's a side effect I can live with. My libido, I hadn't realized how much it had dropped because I still had a libido, right? Unlike some women, I still had a libido. So I hadn't realized how much it had actually gone down until they started me on the testosterone. And I was like, Oh, I remember this. This is how I used to feel fabulous. My sex life, improved dramatically and it stayed that way. I have better sex now at 57 than I did when I was in my thirties.
0: And I think that is what I'm hearing from a lot of women. You're, you're definitely not alone there, Laurie Beth. I mean, there are huge numbers of women who are talking about having amazing sex lives, feeling energized, or maybe kind of post the menopause, whenever that's supposed to end. Right. a sudden, uh, lift of energy whether that's libido it's the fact that we're not having periods that we're not risking getting pregnant that we're not as stressed as when we had screaming children aging parents i mean there are a lot of factors aren't there that could be absolutely
1: uh, so one of the other so we talk libido but we'll, uh, let's talk about dryness and and brittleness and all those things again we don't talk about so when you go to a doctor, if you're having pain and you're menopausal, they will tell you, use lube. Yep. Now, I will tell you, as somebody <laughs> who works with sex, I don't care if you're menopausal, you're not menopausal, you're very well lubricated, you should always use lube. If you use lube, even when you don't think you need it, you protect your tissues from micro tears. If You protect your tissues from micro tears, you will protect your elasticity. I wish I'd known that when I was much younger. because you're you're much more elastic before menopause. Yes. So if you protected yourself from micro tears, you don't have as many problems. Makes sense.
0: I mean, what what is it that I mean, I presume that obviously it's like scar tissue, isn't it? It's that's sort of right. That builds
1: up. That's right. You and you won't. <laughs> that's right. And you won't be aware of it. So it's better to do that. So if you're younger and you're listening to this, or you're not through menopause yet, you're just starting. Lube. Always use lube. That's great, but that's not the only reason that people hurt. So in my case, it was because my fibroids were so big, they were pushing into the vaginal canal. Well, nobody even suggested that. Had I known earlier, I could have, it would have changed the operation I had. It would have made life easier. I might've been able to avoid an operation, but nobody looked because I said the word menopause and pain and menopause and pain automatically means, well, it doesn't automatically mean dryness. Dryness is only one of the things that causes us pain on penetration. Um, Some of us end up with prolapses. Prolapse can cause you pain on penetration because basically you're trying to put an object into a solid water well yes a lot of women have prolapses or have other sort of
0: weaknesses in that bladder bowel area that absolutely don't talk about and they go to their doctor and they get absolutely no support and are living with fecal and urine incontinence and don't realize that that is also affecting
1: how penetration feels it's i mean it's a very sensitive part of our body particularly when the bladder if the bladder protrudes anywhere into if it's pushing on the vaginal wall so it's it's a lump in your vagina basically so penetration hitting the bladder makes us all uncomfortable right it's it's painful it's annoying who wants to have penetrative sex when that happens? No one. no one. So first of all, you should understand that when they tell you to work on your PC muscles, they're not kidding. No, they're not. Best kidding. favor you can do yourself is learning how to do this. But I learned something that I didn't know. I had been working on them for years and mine were nice and strong in the front. You have two sets or more, depending on how you count them. But there are ones that are shallow in the shallower penetration area, which is the ones that most of us work on when they give us the exercises we find easy to work on. But actually the deeper ones are harder to work on. Mm-hmm. Those make a bigger difference in terms of prolapse than the shallow ones. So now we've got these really cool tools. We've got, um, LV is probably the most known Yes, um, yes. So LV has um, a device you can insert and it, you connect to an app so you can measure the power of your squeeze, but LV doesn't differentiate. Perfect's just come out with one that actually has two sensors on it. There's the front sensors and the deep sensors, and it's gamified. Wow. So, <laughs> Gamified basically means it gives you, you're you're trying to make a, a, a bird fly. You're trying to make something go different direction. So you're concentrating on the game and you're learning how to isolate the muscles and you're learning how to release, which is just as important as tensing.
0: Yes. Yes. Because if you don't release, you're equally tense, aren't you? I mean, any tension is going to mean that penetrative sex
1: is just difficult and painful. So yes. that's right. Yeah. So I, I tried this one out and um, I actually purchased this one. You know, sometimes I get things to try out because people send them to me, but in this case I tried it out myself. Um, and excuse me, I had, um, had e- electro electric stimulation. There oh, yes. are things that will do electro stimulation. Those are fun and those are great because they do it for you. But again, the one that I had, it was working on the front muscles, not the back muscles. Yeah. So I've tried the perfect. The perfect doesn't have electric stimulation. It just connects to the app. You have to do all the work, but you can now learn that you're when you're moving your back muscles when you're not because of the different sensors. Yeah. I'm finding it really useful. If you have a prolapse, you can sometimes correct a prolapse by using PC muscle, Kegel muscle exercises. So that's the first port of call. If that doesn't work, they offer you things like something to put in the vagina to hold it open. Well, that's not going to help when you're having sex, guys. So <laughs> I have think so. I think that probably is the
0: opposite, isn't it? You
1: know, no. That's only you know. It's only to make you more comfortable because a prolapse can be so bad that it's uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And if you start strengthening these muscles, you will find you're not leaking as often. Yeah. There are different programs that you can try. To, to attack that. So Perfect, for example, has a quiz you go through and they they design the program based on what your problems are. I love
0: that. And so I'm hoping everybody's listening to that and we'll put a link to
1: Perfect in this because this is such a big problem for women. It's huge. And you're not going to get any good advice on this. In fact, what you're probably going to be told, you if you go to, if you have the opportunity to go to a... Um, physical therapist who does, and there are physical therapists who are specialists in gyne. If you go to one of them, they'll give you exercises, but nobody's going to check unless you ask. They're not going to stick their fingers in and check whether you're actually clenching the back muscles. I found out I wasn't because I went to have a treatment, which I'll talk about in a second. (laughs) Yeah. and so it was the nurse did have her fingers in the back because she was feeling around because that was what she what she has expertise in to tell me, right, whether or not which muscles she said, well, your front muscles are fine. The reason that you're not getting any better, even though you're doing these exercises, is the back muscles that are you're having trouble with. So unless you ask somebody to do that, you're not gonna know, which is why I loved, I love this. And I literally have only discovered perfect. I don't know it was a month ago um and I discovered it on Instagram because when you have sex in your thing you get ads all yeah, the time you
0: get something very different than than most mainstream yeah, most
1: of the population
0: right <laughs> population, I, well I don't know but maybe most of us in
1: midlife aren't typing in sex if they're very old right thing. so I mean on my feed is about sex a lot so I get lots of interesting ads um so I checked it out and and so I actually will recommend this. And I never recommend anything I haven't tried. So I'll say that right now. Yeah. Um, so there's that. And then the next step is surgery, guys. Um, wow. there's one, a it's a big dip. There's one other option. And there are a number of intravaginal laser treatments. Ah. Now, they're not specifically for prolapse. They're specifically to regenerate collagen. So you're not having the atrophied vagina and you're not having um, problems with as many problems with lubrication. Um, All of the ones that I've seen are two to three, a series of two to three treatments and then a top up yearly. Now, I've only done treatment number one because then we lock down. And I haven't felt confident to go back out no. into that kind of a setting to do another treatment. So I can't, I can't speak to the full result. I did not get a full result with my first treatment, but you're not expected to.
0: No, that, um, that's right. I used to um, teach mindfulness in a women's health research institute in Australia. And I know that a lot of those women came in for laser treatments um, and they there was definite they'd come several times to yeah. have that treatment and before it was really taking any effect.
1: Right, so it's um, there are a number of companies and I found um, the, the one that I went to and I, I'm going to do a little search because I want to see if I can find the actual name because um, they had company name and they had I can't remember the name they advertised under. Here we go. Silvery blue.
0: Ah, silvery blue guys. That in that are they UK based? Yeah?
1: They are silvery dot blue. The reason that I liked them is that it's all female led and that the nurses who are working with you have all experienced the treatments.
0: That's amazing. That's that's very unusual.
1: Yeah, and so it's completely female led, it's female gynecologists and female nurses, and it's nurses that are delivering the treatments, and they are all, they've all experienced it. Um, And it's, they're looking at vaginal laxity, and they're looking at generating more um, uh, lubrication, and it does help with mild to moderate prolapses. So I've had, like I said, I've had one. I need three before I'm really going to be able to say anything. And then a follow-up. Um, I will probably in the next month or so brave the outside world and have another and hope that it isn't too far apart, that I don't have to start the series again. These aren't cheap.
0: No.
1: Um, Silvery Blue is one of the most reasonable of all the ones that I looked into. Um, and it was female-led, so that was kind of a go for me. Um, however, they're not outrageously expensive either. You're you're going to invest um, about a thousand pounds. You get two treatments, and then you you do two treatments, you get one free. Um, so you're going to invest about a thousand pounds initially, maybe twelve hundred pounds, and then you go once a year for for top up. And you can go once a year forever, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah. also, you know, they talk about it not being painful. I'm going to um, say <laughs> that I I don't know what their idea of pain was. As somebody who lives with chronic pain, I have a relatively high threshold. I thought it was painful. Yeah, I did not I
0: think, I think all laser treatments, actually, Laurie, whatever they do them on and the more sensitive the area, they're not unpainful. I've only had things pinged on my face with lasers. And I thought, woo, that. It's not comfortable, and
1: um, your vagina is more sensitive than that. That's right, and I couldn't manage the facial laser ones. I have to say that. I mean, when I did a trial, I said, "No, I'm not doing this." Um, it was painful. I managed it, but I screamed. I'm going to be honest. Right? <laughs> I think I surprised her that I'm allowed to scream. scream. I yelped. It was not fun, and then I was sore for a few days. Yeah, um, and raw for a few days, and then I. But then I felt better. I noticed a bit of improvement, but I did not notice a huge amount. I've noticed much more improvement with the perfect, which is interesting. And that may say something about what's going on in my body, or it may be that I just haven't had the three. Now, the thing is, I'm going to have to keep doing the perfect ad infinitum. Yeah. And if, I guess if I had these three treatments, I might not need to do it ad infinitum. I don't know. You might be combining. Yeah. So it's definitely something that you want to talk about. Um, you want to consider it because it's a step that isn't surgery. Correct. And surgery is quite
0: extreme if you have a prolapse. But when you think about you saying, yeah, that's a thousand pounds, but this is also about our lives. It's about the quality of our life. And it's also about our most intimate relationships. Um, the the friction that that is going, my goodness, that is... All that we read
1: about, isn't it, Laurie? The, fr- the, the friction between men yeah, and women. Yeah, women because because everything changes. Now, one more thing that I do want to talk about is definitely the fact that you know I'm talking about ways to preserve penetration. Sometimes that isn't possible. But you also need to know that while you're doing this, there's loads of things you can do that don't require penetration. And people forget because they kind of relegate it to a foreplay. This is something we do before the big act. But the reality is it doesn't have to be. There's loads of what, what one of my friends has labeled outer course.
0: <laughs> I like that, outer course. And I think a lot of us, you know, and, and I, I mean, I'm 60 now, but yeah, outer course works
1: as much as intercourse, it's amazing. And, you know, if you're, if you're heterosexual and you're concerned that the men in your life are not going to take to it, um, I, there are very few men who don't like oral sex. And if you get good at that, there are very few men that are going to complain. Yes, there's an intimacy that's different when you are having um, penis and vagina sex. Yes. It's a different kind yes. of intimacy. And if that's what you've been used to with your partner, it is a change and it is an adjustment. But you have options that are, that are outer course. You also have the possibility of anal sex and nobody talks about that. No, oh gosh, that, that doesn't even
0: come on the radar as, as if that was the most taboo thing on the planet to talk about. I mean, right? we can't even say the word vagina. I mean, how do we manage to talk about other
1: forms of sex? I mean, so that's another option that you have um, that if you practice and you go slowly can feel very good. It can feel very good for him. It can also feel very good for you. But if the concern is, is that you want that kind of closeness when, when you penetrate it in that way, there's a physical closeness that you can have that is maybe harder to get it doesn't feel the same when you're doing something that's outer course, certainly if you're doing oral, unless you're in a 69 position, you're not having that same kind of body connection, right? Um, so sometimes anal sex is a good option for giving you that same body connection that you're not, that you're missing. So it's about being creative and you have to talk to your partner if you want to do that.
0: Well, I think that is the question I'd like to really think is a nail on the head, Women, from my experience, and I I wonder if it's the same for me, just don't talk about what they need. And they don't talk about sex in a way that's helpful for their partner at times.
1: Absolutely. Uh, And it's not just women. I mean, look, we don't learn how to talk about sex. So I work with a lot of people who are, um, are from the GSRD community. That's gender, sexual and relationship diverse. That means LGBTQ um, consensual non-monogamy or polyamory, as it's sometimes called, so multiple partners, and people who are kinky, so they might have relationships that are styled very different, and their sex might look very different. So I do a lot of work in that community, and what I take from that community and bring to heterosexual folks is the idea of actually having a conversation about sex before you have sex. A lot of people (laughs) meet and fall into bed before they ever talk about what they like. If you are in a relationship with somebody, you cannot expect them to be a mind reader.
0: No, that was that. If anything, I was just thinking telepathy isn't one of our. uh, It doesn't
1: work. It doesn't work. I mean, I had a client come um, in for, I do a 30 minute free consultation, come in from a 30 minute free consultation who said that she did not know how to have an orgasm on her own. I said, do you have an orgasm with your partner? She said, yes, but I don't have it on my own. And I'm wondering if that's a bad thing. And I said, well, the reason it's a bad thing, because I do think it's a bad thing, is that what happens if something happens to your partner? Right? What happens if your partner is ill? What happens if your partner dies? What happens if you get divorced? Horrible things to think about. But If you don't know how to give yourself pleasure, you're handing over control to someone else in a way that while it might be fun for a little while could actually prove really problematic later on because you don't have a way of having pleasure when they're not around or they're not in the mood. So what I said in that case was teach your partner, ask your partner to teach you how he makes you have an orgasm. Yeah. Absolutely. Make it a fun activity so yeah, you can yeah. learn what does he do that works. And then you can practice and find out if there are other things. It requires a conversation. So that's where I start with just about everybody is how do you talk about these things? Yes.
0: And and, and I think this is, there's this whole taboo, this prudishness and I think a lot of women don't know very much about their own bodies. They haven't even explored their own bodies because, you know, and, and I'll tell my little stories that I worked with the Dove, um, you know, beauty brand. And one of the reasons we invented the stupid little bit of plastic <laughs> is because women couldn't put their hands in their intimate places and wash and touch themselves because they thought that was taboo. And I was, I was just like gobsmacked when someone said, well, this is why we're creating this. And I'm like, Wow. Well, you know, when your mother's Swedish, you brought up with a different relationship to your body, you know, take your clothes off and it's just a body, you know, get into it, be okay. But it it really is that difficult
1: for women to come into a close personal relationship sometimes with their own bodies. And, and, and I mean, if you haven't done that before menopause at menopause, it's even harder. Yes. Yeah. Because we don't like the way we look and sometimes. It's, yeah. And more upsetting because you're not feeling the way you want to feel.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, we, we can
1: look. So, so I want people. Oh, we're okay. Oh. Yep. <laughs> yeah, we're good. I want people to look at themselves as early as possible to get to know themselves as early as possible, particularly because women look, look will look at a porn film and then they'll think that that's what all vaginas look like, all vulvas look like, you know, and no, we're all different.
0: Yeah. And I think the other side of it also is maybe men are, am I right? Men are learning more from porn now than maybe, you know, they
1: did in the past. Yes. Um, and so you've got to tell them that this isn't something you like, or this is something you like, or actually... Sometimes like, you have to say this is what an actual woman looks like rather than what you think a woman looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's even in, even with women-led pornography, and there is ethical pornography, which is pornography where you know all the actors are happy to be there. And um, also, there's pornography that's created by women. Um, and even with that, it's still you know talking about different body sizes and shapes, and and you know like everyone has sex, right? Yes. Here's the thing, right? It doesn't Does it matter, matter how big you are, and um, how, you know, many lumps and bumps you have, how much you don't look like what you see in the media, sex is still available to you. Yes. So, <laughs> you know, we're not likely to if we watch pornography, we're not likely to see ourselves reflected.
0: No, and that and I think that that is something that we don't talk about either. And we're, when pornography isn't discussed in there. And I mean, uh can that also be something that can help people in menopause to uh, get Absolutely.
1: over some of our inhibitions or issues? Absolutely. I mean, so sometimes people have trouble talking to their partners about what they want or what they'd like to try. And I often advise finding erotica of some type, so that can be visual, it can be auditory, because yes, there is audio porn out there. I create some of it, so I know. <laughs> I, do, I do an erotica podcast where I read erotica, my own, other people's, I have authors on. So there's that, and you can also read. And sometimes finding a story that reflects what you like and sharing it with your partner. So it's an indirect way of saying, what do you think of this? Is an easier way than saying, hey, I've been having this fantasy And you're worried they're going to go bleh, right? (laughs) I don't like that. So it's easier if you actually kind of have other ways of introducing it. I also created an ebook called 100 Movies That Aren't X-Rated because not everybody wants to watch pornography, but there's loads of really intensely sexy and sensual movies that don't have cum shots, right? (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) So... You can watch one of those with your partner if you're more, if you're uncomfortable with watching pornography and they explore all sorts of things. I mean, there are movies from the forties that are hot.
0: Yeah, (laughs) exactly. I mean, there are intimate intimacy and, and, and sexy movies
1: out there that,
0: you know, yeah, we should. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There's fantastic stuff. So it's, it's about getting creative until you're capable of talking in more detail. And You know, if if you're worried about how your partner's going to react, tell them that. Say, I want to talk about sex in a way that I haven't talked with you about it before. Don't tell your partner you're doing this wrong because then you just backfoot them and they're not paying any attention. Say, I would enjoy if. So don't talk about what's wrong. Talk about what you would enjoy. Or when you do whatever it is, I love that. Can we have more of that?
0: Yeah, exactly. That, and that is such a nice opening. It's such a segue to having conversation, which maybe some people in their relationships haven't had ever. Ever.
1: Also, make sure you're in a space where you're not going to be interrupted. I know it, people are like, oh, you shouldn't tell people what to do, but I'm going to be prescriptive here. Yep. I have to be. Do not have gadgets on while you're having this conversation. (laughs) I know we all are expected to be on email and Facebook and all these things all the time, but you need to give your partner your full attention and be present with them in order to decrease the shame in this conversation. There shouldn't be any shame talking about sex. That should be something that's comfortable the same way, and you should it's the same way you talk about your physical health, you should be able to talk about your sexual health. It's society that's implanted those taboos and we need to get rid of them because people are missing out on one of the greatest parts of life, that physical closeness. I mean, even if you are at a point where you don't want to have active sex, to be able to talk to your partner about being naked and being close to each other.
0: Exactly. Because I think that's, that's the confusion, isn't there, between the actual physical act and what it actually means for the relationship that you have with each other
1: and you know I see a lot of couples and you probably hear this a lot too where um, because sex has become so contentious they stop kissing they stop hugging they stop having physical contact at all and people wither we are creatures that need physical contact there's I mean there's been tons of research on that Going back to Bowlby, who did the studies with the monkeys that he took away from their mothers, and he offered baby monkeys the opportunity to be in a cage with um, a mother that prevent, uh, dispensed food, milk, but was made of metal, and a cloth monkey that didn't dispense food, but it was cloth. Those babies clung to the cloth. Yes. Because we need that touch. Yeah. We wither without that. And with COVID-19, people are really struggling. If you don't live with somebody, you can get that affection from, and you don't have a furry creature to get some of that affection from. People are really struggling. So even if you're not able to have full sex, don't let it mean that that you can't kiss anymore, you can't cuddle anymore because everything gets too intense. The only way to do that, though, is to have conversations about it.
0: Yes, and to recognize that need, to recognize how good it feels when somebody hugs you, when someone just holds your hand. It's touches are one of our most pri. It's the most primary senses. You're right. Like the monkey show, we all need it. And in COVID, and I think a society now that's also losing the the touch because we're afraid, and there are a lot of hashtag Me Too, and all yes. these things means that we're much more afraid of touching people because a few people in society behave badly. All of society is losing out on intimacy and the the power of touch.
1: Well, and that's because people don't understand gray areas. And and it's really it's one of my other bugbears that I talk about a lot, which is that, you know, ambivalence is a thing. You know, we can have good and bad in everything. And we need to be able to sit with that and understand that and work with that and not insist that things are either right or wrong. There's there's a middle ground. There's a negotiation place. Um, And sometimes you're negotiating with yourself. Sometimes you're negotiating with someone else. But that we understand that all things have strands of positive and negative in them. And we're making choices about how we categorize things. And that's one of the things with menopause as well. I mean, there are losses that we experience as part of menopause. If you haven't had children, even if it's been by choice, it's often felt as quite a big loss. If you have had children, even though you may be sure you were done, the fact that you're losing the ability to choose again is also experienced sometimes as a loss. You have to acknowledge those things if you're going to move past them.
0: I think grief is part of the transformation and it's an emotion that we need to be able to express and and it comes out in other ways. It comes out with people isolating themselves a lot. I see a lot of women who withdraw from relationships, withdraw from social contact and and they're trying to process grief in those kinds of ways when really we should be reaching out to being hugged and cared for and talked about.
1: Absolutely. And 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 you know, there are so many parts to that grief. You know, our, our bodies change. Yes, they do. I talk about the fact that I need scaffolding now, right? You know, <laughs> You know, and, and this is a part, do I like that? No. Am I, you know, am I unhappy? I used to be able to go braless and I would go braless and, you know, I would stand up and, you know, I had breasts I was happy with and proud of. Okay, I've had to to learn to love the breasts I have now right? Because they change. It's not just that you end up lower, but you lose some of the infrastructure of your breast because you're, you're no longer going to be breastfeeding. So you lose the milk ducts. And so you're more made of fat than you were before. <laughs> and, and so it changes your texture, your skin texture changes, you develop wrinkles, you, you know, there's all these things that, you know, we spend more or less time fighting, and that's an individual choice. I don't have a problem with that, but it's about understanding that and recognizing that it's also for us a sign of aging. We're moving into the last part of life. Men don't have as obvious a transition and that's societal. Men do have changes. Uh, yes, we can see them. They're losing their hair and they've got little bellies. and Not just that, but let's talk about the fact that testosterone does change and men don't necessarily acknowledge this. And it's really important. If your man, if you're in a relationship with a man and your man starts getting depressed and his libido decreases, his testosterone has probably dropped.
0: It's true. And, and that is happening with a lot of midlife men. and. Yeah. and They're putting it down to stress at work or whatever else, but a lot of it is a loss of testosterone for a a variety
1: of factors that are to do with age and lifestyle. And you can supplement that. See, you can go to the doctor and get help. It's actually easier for them than it is for us because (laughs) Because they're supplementing and don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah, that and also though that there's they're supplementing one hormone and we're looking at a cocktail of three. So um, it is easier for them than it is for us. And they can go to the doctor. But the other thing is, is that when your libido drops, you often don't notice that your libido is dropped. It's this funny thing. When you're having sex, you tend to want more sex. When you're not having sex, you don't think about it. No. After a period. And it's, it's part of that's chemical and part of it's habit. So a lot of guys, you know, there are women, I get a lot of women coming to me like this. They're saying, oh my God. He's never interested. He never initiates. You know, at first they personalize it. It must be what I look like. Or and then <laughs> yeah. they realize it's not that they're like, what is going on? And they're saying to their guys, your libido's dropped. No, it hasn't. Well, yeah, it has. You just haven't noticed. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I had one woman who started marking it on the calendar. Right. And he went, Oh my God we used to have sex a couple times a week. It's once a month now. When did that happen? She's like, well, I've been telling you this for a year, you know, and you're not paying attention. <laughs> so sometimes fake it till you make it works. That's another one, right? Sometimes trying, go and have sex, even though you're not terribly in the mood, because as you start, you enjoy. That doesn't always work. Sometimes you start and you don't enjoy, and then you, then you stop. So you have to have a conversation because your partner's not going to be too keen. If you start and it's the first time in months, you're willing to have sex. You start and then you go out. Oh, actually, this is really painful. I want to stop. Yeah. Right. Talking Again, about- you have to converse. Notice one of the ways to tell if your libido is dropping is to notice how often you masturbate. If you, you, you have masturbated regularly mm-hmm. and then it becomes less and less and less. That's, That's a drop in libido.
0: That is a great simple reckoner for
1: for any man or woman to to say. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, if you're not somebody who masturbated regularly, obviously it won't work. But 80% of the population masturbates regularly. They may not talk about it, but they do it. And so, for example, a lot of women masturbate to fall asleep. And this doesn't change in marriage. It's it's a it's a thing that a lot of women do. And so if that's something that you've traditionally done and you notice you're not doing it very often, that's usually a libido change. Now, it could be because of depression. It could be because of hormones. It doesn't tell you why your libido has changed, but it does tell you it has.
0: What a great point. I mean, that's just a great thing for ourselves if we have enough self-awareness. Yes. To actually think Wow, I've stopped masturbating. And, and you kind of maybe you need to keep a little record. Do you
1: recommend people keep a little record, a little diary Absolutely. of what's going on? Absolutely.
2: Okay. You
1: know, it's something that it's um if self-pleasure is not part of your routine, it needs to be because you need to know your own body you need to know your own body for all sorts of reasons and lots of them are health reasons. It's nice to have a partner do the breast exam, but actually you're the one who's likely to notice differences first. And that's not just about feeling around a breast, which is what we're taught. It's about looking at yourself in a mirror and seeing you're hanging differently, right? Putting on a bra, you, you know, if we start paying attention to our bodies, we notice these changes much earlier. If you notice changes earlier, you have a much higher likelihood of survival right? And so you need to be looking at your body and paying attention to your body. And if something drastically shifts, don't just let it go.
0: No, no. And I think that that often happens as well, because we're afraid, or we're just not actually a lot of the time, we're just not paying attention. That's right. And same with libido. I mean, how can do you recommend that women maybe start to, to reignite masturbation, if it's something that they've done, How do women get back into that?
1: So there I send you to erotica every time. Go and read, go and listen, go and watch, do something, expand, right? Do something new because newness is definitely a thing for most of us. Most humans like newness at the beginning of a relationship. What's so exciting is everything's new. If you've been around for a while, it's all the same. So you have to Artificially bring in some newness. Sometimes that means trying something new,
2: yes, different angle,
1: yes. different position, different activity. Same thing with masturbation. I had, um, I, I have a podcast, the A to Z of Sex, that I do every week, and um, I've been doing this at, since 2016. And I had a woman on one time when I did Ms for masturbation. Her name is Dr. Martha Tara Lee. She's in Singapore. And she told me this thing. I probably mentioned her more than any other guest I've ever had. She probably doesn't even know. But she talked about having a masturbation date with yourself. Now, she said that she has a full day of self-exploration periodically. And I was amazed. I'm like, a full day? (laughs) Wow. Well, most women are very good. If you masturbate regularly, you're good at creating an orgasm for yourself. Usually you can do it inside of two minutes. Many women can do it in 20 seconds. Yeah. Whereas in sex with another person, average time to orgasm for a woman is 20 minutes. Okay. So see the difference, right? Yes. Um, Nothing wrong with the fact that we know ourselves better. We can do it quickly. Nothing wrong with doing it quickly sometimes, but usually you're not paying attention to your responses. It's just get it over with. It becomes another chore. So what I liked about what she was saying was the idea that you should be taking time with your own body, love your body, love your own responses. That means slowing it down. It doesn't mean not using toys. It means slowing it down. Slow down your approach. If you know that favorite toy of yours will do like that, and some women, um, particularly with the new clitoral toys, oh yes, like yeah. the Womanizer, right? Horrible name. Can't understand why they <laughs> ever have decided to did. do that. But they did. <laughs> but the Womanizer is one that it 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 sucks at the clitoris. Yes. Right. Now that one, for many women who haven't ever experienced orgasm, that'll be their first orgasm because it does some really cool things. But don't just go to that. Take time and explore yourself. Take time and build. If you do that, you'll have new techniques to bring to a partner too. You'll also find yourself much more relaxed. And you can, if you're somebody who's never had multiple orgasm, it can teach you how to have a multiple orgasm Mm -hmm. by slowing down right? Because a lot of the reason that women don't have multiple orgasm is because the first orgasm is so intense that they're like, oh, don't, don't touch me. But if you move the focus of touch for a bit and then come back, you can push into more. So you can have more pleasure instead of less pleasure. How amazing is that? That's perfect. And a
0: whole day, that sounds a lot like the same as you were like, wow, I'm a bit like, wow. But then I think that that's not all about traditional masturbation is to say that's about exploring our bodies, touching ourselves, getting to know this
1: body. In and this body ways. that's changing, right? I mean, if we're talking menopause. Yeah, I mean, I recommend yeah. this to everybody, but when you're talking menopause on those changes, you need to be able to embrace yourself. Sexual confidence is the best thing, not only for relationships, but for everything you do. If you're happy sexually and you're integrated and your energy is integrated and you're confident, that shows in your business. It shows in your relationships, and your friendships. Everything you do comes across exciting and people are drawn to you like bees to honey. Yeah, You can't feel that way if you're not comfortable with yourself. So you've got to love your lumps and bumps. If you want to lose weight, fine, don't worry about it. If you want it to tighten up, fine, don't worry about it. You can be engaging in those things and still love the body you're in.
0: Exactly. And I think this is it. This is about knowing this new body, looking at this new, new curves, and, and learning to think that this body is actually beautiful and amazing. And I, and I think that when I listen to women's stories, there's a lot of loss of body confidence or even actually hating the body that they're in and going, I just don't like me. I don't recognize me.
1: What is going on here? So there's all sorts of things about that. For example, the body changes obviously after childbirth. The body changes again in menopause. If you've had surgery of any kind, Mm -hmm. if you had a C-section, they create an extra roll when they do that. I mean, no lie, you end up with an extra stomach roll because they cut, right? Even if you're thin, it doesn't matter. You've got a new roll. It's something to get used to. Uh, There are numb spots on your body. If you've had a hysterectomy... And you have the cervix taken out. If you were somebody who actually had uterine contractions, were aware of your uterine contractions during orgasm. Now, not everybody is. But if you were aware of those, I remember panicking. What's orgasm going to feel like? Maybe I won't like it. Mm -hmm. Maybe it won't be so strong because I have no uterus to contract anymore. As it turned out for me, it was just as strong but different. And there was nothing to worry about. But I didn't know that until I tried. And it was one of the things that made me go, oh, um, well, I may not not like this new body and there's nothing I can do if I don't, right? So you may need to reacquaint yourself with what happens in orgasm for you because The equipment's different or your equipment has shifted. If you're somebody who's had endometriosis and is used to lots of pain, if you have a hysterectomy, sex changes. And I know women who have said they were really reticent to have a hysterectomy. It's the best thing they ever did because they no longer have pain. Well, that changes everything. So there's a lot of things to think about in loving the form that you're in. Maybe you don't like your white or gray hair. You'll notice that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm getting there,
1: you know, it just is. I have tons. This is not a natural color. We know this because it's a bright red, right? I have tons. I've chosen to cover it. That's me. I might choose to go back to a natural color and have lots of white hair. It's my choice. Yes. Don't feel bullied into anything. It's completely your choice how you want to do this, but you need to love yourself doing it. And if you love yourself doing it, you will be confident. And it won't be, people will think you're younger because your energy is younger. <laughs> true. I'm... It's very true. People don't know how
0: old some people are, but it's all in your mind. It's all your mindset and the
1: way you Absolutely. You yourself. are projecting something. You Nobody thinks I am 57 years old. No, people don't Ever. think I'm 60. They go around going, are you 60? And I'm going, well, what 60? It's just 60. Right. Nobody <laughs> thinks I'm my age. No. Nobody's ever thought that I was my age. Why? Because of what's coming from in me. If I'm having a really bad day and I feel awful, you're not going to see me on a camera. No, no. (laughs) Because what I see is what you see and what I see is going to be completely different than what you see when I'm having a good day and I'm feeling good. And we all have bad days too. And we all have to just embrace that. The other part of this is, is that there's a mortality thing involved. Now, if you have not had any kind of serious illness before menopause, which isn't an illness, but if you haven't had a serious illness where you've had to face mortality, and some of us had illnesses that meant that we had to face mortality younger, mm. I, I don't recommend it. Um, but if you haven't, menopause is often the first time that women face their own mortality. Mm. Because it marks the time that the body says, you are now too old to do one of your major functions, which is procreate. You are in the last part of life. And of course, life, um, life expectancy has expanded drastically in the modern world. So that when we're, we do menopause, we still have a lot of life left in us.
0: Yeah. But in the
1: old days, we didn't. Women who got through menopause were like old they, no, they,
0: went, they it. popped at about 65, you know, were lucky if yeah. you made it to 70. So you didn't have many, many that's, years left after your menopause was over. That's right. So
1: most of us still see that as a marker of we now have less life ahead of us than we have behind us. And that's a very strange feeling. Unless you're one of those rare people who lives to 103 right? My grandmother lived to 103. So, (laughs) yeah. So, you know, if you're one of those people, then you might have about the same amount, even equal amount is weird. And younger people probably won't relate to this because it is a really strange mind shift as to how you look at your life when you know that you have less time left. And I help, I, I like to help people get the most out of what they have. I actually wish younger people could understand this more easily because it is, you, you don't worry about stuff that isn't as important because you don't have that time to waste.
0: That's very true. We are definitely like, okay, I'm going to live each day um, for the best because, you know, there's not as many days ahead of me as they were behind. I mean, the clock is ticking, but we don't have to have that as a bad thing. It's just where that's where we are. Maybe COVID is going to bring that,
1: more to the fore than it has done previously i hope for people that it does because nothing is promised and i mean i've seen my fair share of death at an early age and um, with people around me and so i know that nothing is promised Um, and we should live every day to our best like it's our last and it's hard to do that. I need to say that and, and be completely honest that most of us have trouble doing that. We get caught up in, in the past or we get caught up in the minutia of today or, the, or worrying about tomorrow. But if you can spend a certain amount of your time present every day, that's a good thing. And the more of that you can do, the more you can spread that, the better. And one of the best places to start is again at self-pleasure where you're present with yourself during that time. And come out of that feeling good and then try and extend the presence so that when you are dealing with the parts of life that are not so much fun, you're dealing with them and moving on rather than getting stuck in them and, and, and finding yourself losing big chunks of time to stuff that just isn't worth wasting. So procrastination does that, you know, there are things all of us have that we don't like to do and we don't do them and then it becomes a bigger problem and I'm, you know, I'm guilty. Uh, you know, but it becomes a bigger problem than it would have been if you dealt with it in the beginning. And it's that sort of thing. The more of that you can get rid of, the more present you can be in yourself day to day, the more you enjoy your life, no matter what you're doing, even the hard bits. Exactly.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And I love that self-pleasure can be a
1: part of that, Laura Beth. I mean, that for me is beautiful. Well, it's the easiest place to start because sexual energy for most of us is the easiest thing to access. It's natural. You touch yourself. You feel things. You start doing that. I mean, people forget. We discover ourselves when we are infants. And then babies do. They watch it, babies. They do it. Yeah. And you know what? And I get so tired of people like worrying about this. I do, I've done a lot of family court work in my time. can't tell you the number of times I've been presented with a case where they've said sexualized behavior in a child of three or four. And I say, what are they doing? And it turns out that they're masturbating. I'm like, that's per- perfectly normal, but they do it all the time. Yeah, that's right. They discover themselves. It feels good. They don't have an off switch. If it feels good, they do it. It's immediate for them. There's nothing, there's nothing sexualized. They haven't seen anything or experienced anything bad. They've just found their bodies, you know, and and when it's sexualized, it actually looks really different. So it's, it's natural. We start doing this very young. And when you have kids, if you've been a mother and you've had children, you know, you've had to say to the child who's two at one point or another, you've had to find, hopefully you've found a way that isn't shaming to say to the child in private, please right? It's just not something we do in company. It's something we do on our own.
0: Yeah, exactly. And then, and then there is a phase when that kind of just does sort of not die away or it becomes something they do in private rather than the little, little boys in particular do that a
1: lot. Yeah. Girls do it a lot. Girls do it a lot too. It just looks different. It just, ah, yeah. Girls rub against everything they can rub against. Yeah. I used to do that. There you go. Long, boys, long. boys have something to grab. So it's yeah. pretty obvious. <laughs> but pretty. you know, the thing is, is that part of the reason that that dies away is because we're taught it's wrong. It's bad. It's horrible. Yeah. I don't want it to die away. I do want it to feel comforting to some, to, to a person as they grow up and throughout their life. Cause that's why kids it's not only that it feels good. It becomes a comfort. Anything that feels good is comforting to a child. Yeah. It should be a place of comfort, your own body. It's a hell of a betrayal when your body is a place of pain, not a place of comfort, not a place of pleasure. So we should be able to balance the pain with that comfort and pleasure. But we're taught that there's something wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with it. There should be no shame with it. And you need to reacquaint yourself with that because it changes the whole way you look at yourself. And then that changes the way you look at the world.
0: Yeah. And that changes the way you have relationships because you are... In touch with your own body, and you know what feels good. And if you can open the dialogue, then you're opening up to more pleasure. Absolutely. Laura Beth, if you had to leave my listeners with three tips for these men for women in menopause, how they really start to
1: get great sex, what would be the three key things you would kick people off with? Number one, reacquaint yourself with your own body. That's step one, get self-pleasure back into your routine if it's not there. If you've never done it, start doing it. If you need some help with that and some tips, that's something you can talk to someone like me about. There are all sorts of ways that we can help you into that, but that's where you want to start, step one. Um, Step two, learn how to talk about what you're thinking and feeling with your partner and extend that to talking about your body and sex. If you don't feel you can talk to your partner about when you're feeling unattractive, it's going to be hard to talk to your partner about sex. So start there. Um, And I think number three, explore. Be open-minded and creative about what sex might look like for you, what kinds of sex there might be, and what you might do and what what you might engage with. It's okay if you explore something and you go, actually, it's not for me. Don't worry about it. Not a big deal. Move on to something else. There's a huge world out there and our bodies can do loads of things that you're probably unaware of at this point.
0: (laughs) That's very true. Laurie Beth, how can people get hold of you and find out more about the work you do?
1: So the easiest way, um, my website is drlauribethbisby.com. And so that's one way to, to reach me. Um, And you can email me at LoriBeth at drloribethbisbee.com. If you want to follow me on social media, on Instagram and Twitter, it's dr Bisbee. So it's D R B I S B E Y. On Facebook, it's Beth Bisbee. LinkedIn, drlori Bisbee. And YouTube is, I think, drlori Bisbee or Lori Bisbee. Um, I've got the A to Z of sex every week on a Thursday, uh, usually live. Um, 11 a.m. PST, 2 p.m. EST, 7 p.m. British time, yeah. um, and um, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee's Erotic Library comes out on a Monday, and you can get that at my other site, which is Press, or go over to Patreon and sign up for $10 a month as a patron, and you get extra stuff like interviews with the authors and swag. Because some of the people are very nice and are giving me swag that I get to send out to you. So, those are all the ways you can find me. I'm around a lot and I post quite a bit. So, just reach out in whatever way suits you.
0: That is wonderful. Larry Beth, thank you so much for coming in and having such a frank, open conversation about sex and the menopause and actually how women can just have better their sex by talking, by being more open, by being more in connection with their own body.
1: You're welcome. That's been a lot of fun.
0: Thank you. Well, I hope that you really enjoyed that podcast interview. At least you were able to walk away with some great tips and ideas that you can implement in your daily life. If you've enjoyed this podcast episode, don't forget to like, subscribe and share to wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you have a particular guest or topic that you would like to hear on this podcast, reach out to me, clarissa at clarissachristiansen.com and let me know and I will try my best to get them on the show. Until next time, when I will have another fabulous guest sharing their stories and their wisdom go well.